0: got to tip those guys for that kind of service, (laughs) but I'm really excited for us to be together uh, this morning, and the reason why is because we're going to talk about a topic that is truly my favorite topic in all of the topics in the Bible, and it's about the kingdom of God, and I want to talk about it from a vantage point about our kingdom identity, and I'm going to apologize up front because I already, I had some excitement coming in. To the, uh, this morning, and knowing we were going to talk about this topic, knowing that it's my favorite topic. And Jen, just a moment ago, I got a hug from one of the most significant people in my life. And uh, Miss uh, Shelly Anthes came up and gave me a hug just a moment ago. Uh, Larry and Shelly, where are you guys? Come on, stand up, man. You can't just wave. You got to stand up. Larry and Shelly, yeah. <laughs> so I'm not responsible for anything I say today now. I'm so excited to have Larry and Shelly, to have you guys here with me this morning. We're going to talk about the kingdom. Larry Anthes and Shelly Anthes are the two people that taught me what the kingdom meant. And I'm honored that you guys could be here when we're talking about this today. And, and uh, Larry, your modeling of discipleship for me as a young Christian. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but Larry is the guy who studied the Bible with me and actually baptized me in New Orleans, Louisiana, uh, many moons ago. And uh, we've had many laughs since then. And uh, Larry's taught me so much about living as a disciple in God's kingdom. So I'm excited this morning. And we're going to talk about our kingdom identity. But before we do that, you know, I want to talk about a family identity. You know, all of us have, all families have an identity. And so you've got to ask yourself, what, what's our family identity? You know, some of you, you may be seeing images, and we're going to look through a few images now of some modern family identities. So we have one here, right? And this one has, uh, I mean, all sorts of you know tricks in its bags. I mean, you have so many different things going on in this family, it's incredible, and we won't even get into it, but uh, you've got to ask yourself, is this your family identity? Now, the reality is, is that it's similar to most of our families, Right? We all have a little bit of that in there, uh, but that's not quite what we're talking about Uh, this morning. Then you have, uh, uh, you know, America's new family. You see this new family here. So you guys recognize this is uh, living with the Kardashians and trying to keep up with them. And and now you have uh, Mr. and Mrs. Bruce uh, trying to decide uh, which way he's going to go. But, you know, guys, if we allow ourselves to be influenced today and allow our families to be influenced Boy, we could end up in a world of hurt. And then you look at this next distinguished family. On the, on the right, you see this very distinguished family until Paris grew up. And now you have Miss Paris Hilton out doing all that she wants to do because she's rich and nobody can tell her what to do. And uh, I don't know about you. Some of you guys love Paris Hilton. But I believe if she was my, my daughter, I would feel, as the Bible say, says, disgraced as a father I don't know her personally but I'm just saying right but then we have some hopeful examples of family identity hey who are these guys how did they sneak into my slideshow but here we have George and Sherry Santella and the elders of our congregation and you know they have given us a model of how to raise kids and how to live a, a sacrificial life for the Lord and we can model our families after them can't we And we have another example, and this is one that we are aspiring to if you have any kids. Here you have Bill and Sally Hooper, and they're featured here with their grandchildren. Bill and Sally are also elders in the congregation, and they have lived in such a way that their grandchildren now are accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior and making the same proclamations that we have made, that Jesus will be Lord and we will live for him. And so this is an image that I embrace. This is an image that all of us, I believe, can embrace as a family identity. But ask yourself, what is your family identity? And is it intentional? Because it should be. And there are many family identities. Some of them are very noble. You have one family identity that might be academic pursuits. You know, you stress education because you know that's the way for your family to advance and for your kids to, to have a good life. So you stretch edu- stress education and where they're going to go to college. It has some merit, some value. Some family identities are wrapped around financial advancement. Maybe you were poor, and now you're striving now to advance financially and not have to uh, suffer the way that you saw your parents suffer. And so you're teaching your kids about the, uh, the uh, benefits of managing money wisely and all those different things. There are a lot of uh, things that we're teaching consciously and subconsciously to our families. But here's the thing I want to mention, though. If we're not careful, unconsciously, the family identity of today's time is the lifestyle of the rich and famous. And we could easily get caught up into that. And we start pursuing money, money, gaining things, material possessions. What do I have compared to my neighbor's? and drawing our security from that. We don't want to do that at all, trying to keep up with the Joneses. We'd rather have a family identity that's wrapped up in spirituality and a fulfilled lifestyle, passing that on to our kids as the images that we saw with the Santelans and the Hoopers as well. And so this morning we're going to talk not only about our family identities, but we want to talk specifically about the kingdom identity because we all have bought into a kingdom identity as well as our family identities so let's talk for a moment about this idea of a kingdom now many of us know about the kingdom we've learned about it we've studied it over the years I want to introduce a few perspectives on how we can look at the kingdom from a different vantage point that may be slightly different from the way we've looked at it before but before I do that understanding that we're all not on the same page and we all haven't learned the same things about the kingdom let's talk about it from a historical standpoint and lay some historical context here First of all, the, the, the kingdom of God itself was planned and predicted many centuries ago. God has predicted this kingdom, that it was coming. There's been a great anticipation for its arrival. You know, way back in the time of uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar during when the uh, Babylonian Empire reigned, there was a prophecy about God setting up a kingdom. And he says, you know what, there are going to be four great world empires. We now know that to be the Babylonian, the Meta-Grecian, I mean the Meta-Persian, the Grecian, and the Roman empires. He said going to be four world empires, and during the reign of the fourth world empire, I'm going to set up this kingdom. Do you know that Jesus came to prepare us for the kingdom? That was his purpose. Think about that for a moment. That's why Jesus came. It was the first thing he talked about, and it was the last thing that he talked about. The first thing he said when he began his ministry was what? Repent, for the kingdom of God is coming soon. Get ready, everybody, change your lives. Embrace what I'm talking about because God is about to set up a kingdom here on the earth for you. As he was ascending back to heaven after he had been crucified, resurrected, came back to the earth, he told his disciples, the kingdom of God is not only coming one day, it's coming very soon. It's going to be in your lifetime. So much so, I don't want you to even leave the city of Jerusalem. Stay right here until God sets up the kingdom because it's coming that soon. And the disciples were like, wow. Our forefathers have been teaching us about this for years and years and years. And now you're telling me it's coming in my lifetime? I'm going to get to see it? Grandfather after grandfather sat his granddaughter, grandson on his knee and said, this kingdom that God has promised us, we will reign again. He will establish this reign over the earth. This is going to be awesome. There will be no more crying, no more tears, no more suffering, all these different things that the Old Testament had prophesied about. They have been waiting for this with great anticipation. And now it's here. You know that Christ, his sacrifice was to prepare us for the kingdom. So why is that a major point? in this morning's lesson. The reason why is because of this. Many of us embrace the cross. Many of us are faithful disciples because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, dying for our sins, forgiving us of all that we've done and all that we will do in the future. And that's a powerful thing, isn't it? And that's why many of us show up this morning for church to worship, because of what the cross has done in our lives. Do you understand, though, that the cross only has its power in the kingdom. Jesus died on the cross so that we would be unhindered in our fellowship and relationship with God in his kingdom. He didn't just die on the cross so we'd be forgiven. It's because God wanted a relationship with you. And he built and established this kingdom we're going to talk about this morning to establish that and to secure that so in some ways what I want you guys to think about is that what we're talking about this morning the kingdom of God not diminishing the power of the cross but the kingdom is actually more important we're going to have a hard time with that one Because the cross serves us. The cross forgives us. The cross gives us freedom. The cross cleanses our consciences. The cross does so much for us. But God is saying, but guys, that's not the end of the story. All of that is so that you have a relationship with me. All of that is so that you and I can commune together. All of that is so that I can hear your prayers. All of that is so that you'll be with me forever. That's what God is after. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Why is that so important? I think for some of us, we actually are experiencing a kingdom identity crisis. mercy. Mercy. Say it isn't so. The kingdom identity crisis, you know, we function as if we believe that our involvement in the kingdom is synonymous with church attendance. The kingdom is so much more, so much more. And what I want to do is just walk us through a couple things here that describe what's so important about the kingdom, what's so valuable. Why should I be so grateful for the kingdom of God? The first thing let's talk about is that, you know, God designed it. He designed the kingdom before the creation of the world. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 1. He designed the kingdom before the creation of the world, guys. This is not something that he came up with once the Jews fell short. This is not a plan he came up with once he realized that his original plan didn't work. Before the creation of the world, God has planned this for all of us. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to read verse 3 through 5. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And as we see here in verse four, it says that God, before before he created the world, had already had a plan for your relationship with him and that plan involved his kingdom the second thing that plan involved was that he created the kingdom for you and we see that here in verse 4 and 5 he says in love he predestined us to be a part of this kingdom a long time ago God knew that we would be sitting here today learning about his kingdom it's all a part of his plan thirdly he planted The kingdom inside of you. See, God knew how much of a knucklehead I am, right? He knew how many times many of us would stumble and fall. So God says, you know what? My kingdom is going to have to be residing inside of them. There are many other places you have to go to the mosque, go to the synagogue, go to the temple to worship God. But God says, he shows us here in Hebrews that He came up with a plan. He says, I'm going to write my laws on their minds. I'm going to place them in their hearts. They won't have to go searching for me. The longing will come from the inside. I'm going to already be with them. Those of you that are trying to strengthen your relationship with God this morning, you don't have to go searching for God. He's already inside of you. Just open your mind up to the possibilities of what you could do with him. Open your heart up to living with him and loving him. That's what he's after for each of us. He's also guarding it with his Holy Spirit. We see in this passage, it's a powerful passage. God is using his Holy Spirit to guide us, to convict us, to instruct us, to inspire us. Convicting us of sin. Why? Because sin will disqualify us from being with him in his kingdom. Sin will also disqualify us or or diminish the power that we have while we exist in that kingdom. So that's why the Holy Spirit is on deposit in all of us, guaranteeing what is to come. If you're a baptized disciple this morning, your salvation is guaranteed. Why? Because God already lives inside of you. We don't have to go searching for him once again. Next, you know, this is one that you got to work with me on this one, okay? You... And the kingdom are perfect. You and God's kingdom are perfect in God's sight. You might not be perfect in your spouse's sight. You know, your, your kingdom, I mean, your kids might have issue with that perfection proclamation. In God's sight, he created us perfect. You're already perfect, guys. So many of us are walking around paranoid, thinking that we can't measure up to what God expects of us. God is saying, no, I created you perfect in my sight. You are holy and blameless. That's the way I see you. And we've got to learn to accept that. Got to learn not to wrestle with that one. Accept it. It's in the Bible. Okay? These are the words of God, not mine. The next thing I want you you guys to think about is in the kingdom, you are accepted just as you are. Just as you are. This is one I want to take you guys on a little journey here to talk. Just think about this concept. Many of us have adopted children. Some of us have contemplated that. Some of us know families and seen families that have adopted children. And so a lot of times you... You, for whatever your motives and your reasons are for adopting a kid, you get all excited about it. Maybe you see pictures of them. You go and you go to the uh, orphanage or wherever they are to, you know, to meet them and to embrace them and bring them into your household. But in most cases you don't know what that kid is like. You have no clue. You just want a kid. Or you just want that kid. You have no clue. Think about this for a moment. God is outside of time. God created the earth. The Bible says that before one day came to be, he knew them all. He had had seen it all unfold. So God knew every foolish thing I was going to do. God knew every righteous act you were going to do. God knew everything that you were going to do to blow it. He knew how many times you were going to repent because he's outside of time. And God still adopted you. Because he accepts you just as you are. In his kingdom. Does the kingdom have power? Does he accept you? Because it's one thing to accept someone, but it's God's will to take pleasure in you. It says, in accordance with his pleasure and will. So it's one thing to accept someone because you can't do anything about it. Right? <laughs> Some of us are married, you get what you know what I'm talking about, right? He's like I gotta deal with it. The divorce is not an option, okay? I'm just gonna accept it. But God says, No, and not only do I accept you. But it's with my pleasure. I love you and I embrace you, not just accept you guys. You've got to let this marinate your soul. Then, the last thing we talk about when we look at the kingdom is that you are offered a home forever. The kingdom is eternal. God has this big plan for you. And so, what I want us to think about now is this if you had a spouse or someone that was interested in you. And they looked upon you and thought of you in a way that we just described. They laid things out for you, bought a beautiful home for you. For a lot of ladies, that would be the dream come true right there. That's enough. He'd be a horrible husband, but I mean, he bought me a new home. I mean, this is awesome. (laughs) But he just, before he even met you, he already had these things planned for you. He writes you love letters, leaves you a book of love letters to tell you how much he loves you. Every day he's telling you something new, encouraging you from the inside out. He guards you and protects you, makes you feel secure and safe, provides for you financially. He looks upon you as if you are perfect in his sight. But not only are you perfect in his sight, he accepts you knowing all all of your flaws and he accepts you just as you are, and he takes pleasure in you. If you had a gentleman, a beau, as they call it, down south, that was pursuing you in that way, how would that make you feel? I think for many of you, whether you, male, whether you're male or female, you couldn't stop talking about that. It'd be all over Facebook and all the other social media networks. Everybody you run into at the office, you would be telling them, oh, I met this guy this weekend, and oh, look at what he did. He brought me a new home, and he didn't even know me. And, I mean, <laughs> and you go on and on. You wouldn't stop thinking about him. And I think that is what God is looking for from us as he looks at our kingdom. And so we close out with this thought in a lot of ways church attendance has become for many people a place where we look to see who's preaching what type of worship songs are going to be sung whether we fit in or feel comfortable or not but the kingdom is where people encounter Jesus Christ and their lives are changed and that's why many of us are here this morning and right now Jeff Smith is going to come up. He's going to talk about a few people whose lives were changed and impacted. Jeff and I tag tag teaming this morning. I'm going to open this up, and then uh, we're going to have Jeff come up. Jeff is our newest evangelist. He's just moved to the Northwest region. And, uh, amen. Brother, we're very excited to hear from you this morning, and I'm going to turn it over to you.
1: Amen. 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 It, uh, Mike, thanks so much. I'm glad to know I am perfect and I don't need to change anything. So, amen. <laughs> amen. No, I'm very grateful. You know, I, I, here in this lesson, this idea of the kingdom is for me. You know, a lot of times we've gotten to share our faith or, you know, that's just, it's not for me. Ah, oh, you're wrong. It is for you. It's for all of us. The kingdom is for all of us. And I have it. I have it in me already. And it makes me perfect. That's so encouraging to hear. I think a lot of times we look at our lives and, you know, we just get discouraged. Well, I'm not, you know, for me, I'm not tall enough. I wanted to play basketball in college and a scout was over, was talking to his friend and my dad overheard and said, man, if he was like three inches taller, we'd take him. Story of my life. I always wanted to play tall people sports. Oh, well. Life goes on. But I'm I'm perfect the way I am. God's made me perfect. Perfect. So what do you do with that? How do you handle that information? And so I want to talk about our response. What do we do with that? You know, we look at, we're going to look at one person in particular in the Bible. We're going to look at Philip, and uh, we're going to talk about him here in a little bit. But, uh, you know, I just want to let you know I'm so grateful to be here. I'm so excited to be here. I'm grateful for the Assads. Uh, I'm grateful for the Gowers. I've known Alan for 20 years, and so I have a lot of stories. Come talk to me. We'll just make fun of them. That'd be great. But, uh, you know, my wife and I recently moved to Denton, and uh, we're excited to be there, be able to help out with the campus ministry. And uh, they're still here. Not all of them left for this summer, so we're excited about that. And we're excited to be up there. You know, we're so grateful for the Borlands. They set that foundation, and they set a, a foundation and a character of hard work and of loving Jesus. That's awesome. Ben and I are best friends. Ben was the best man at my wedding. You know, ben and i lived together for many years and we have a lot of good stories which he's told me he hasn't told you so <laughs> jokes on him and so if i'm ever sharing about a, a crazy story about something fun or wild i did in college and i refer to that roommate now you guys know but that's between us that'll be that roommate that i talk about in college um but you know i am very excited my wife and i have we have two daughters i have pictures um i'm on the left um and then my daughter, uh, Holly, is up top, and my daughter, Jillian, is on the bottom, and uh, they're wild. Jessica Heard took that bottom one. She does great photography. We're very excited about her. Jillian screamed the whole photo shoot. You can't tell. It's awesome. But, uh, no, we, we're very excited to be here. We're very, we're very grateful. Uh, my wife and I, the brief version of our story, uh, we were both uh, raised uh, with Kingdom families, and we moved around a lot. Uh, both of our parents served in the ministry. In fact, at one point, my dad, or her dad, was my dad's boss. And, uh, and so that was the t- about the time they planned that we were going to get married. <laughs> I was eight, and so been stuck with that ever since, and I'm grateful for every minute of it. Um, and I love my wife. I'm grateful. And I just I want to let you know, we feel honored to be in the Northwest, you know we've we've been able to serve in the east for a while and uh, we had a great time working with the vets and a great time working with that campus ministry uh when we were there we came in there was about eight faithful disciples and we're proud to say when we left we have 40 on our roster and we're excited to see where god's going to take that group i know they're searching right now but they've got some strong amazing interns working hard preparing the grounds for when some someone else comes in but they're man they're loving life and we're just excited to be here you know i I want to share with you my dream i have a dream for denton i have a vision for denton it's going to be over 100 100 students easy and we're ready to work for it and we know it's going to you know we know it's going to be hard we know it's going to involve a lot of prayers but man we're excited about it we're excited about seeing college students coming to know christ Coming to fall in love with Jesus, and we're we're just so grateful to be here. And I, you know, I just want you to pray for us because we're going to need it. And we're, you know, we we'll make sure to send all the students down to help with Kids Kingdom. Uh, but we're definitely we just need your prayers and we need your encouragement. And uh, you know, our, our goal is to to make Denton a region someday. And the way that's going to work is if the kids stay. And find jobs. And so anybody that has openings, that want to hire these students, come talk to me. We will work this out because we want to make Denton awesome. We want to glorify God, glorify the church, and we just want to lift it up for God's glory. And so that's our dream. That's where we're coming. We're still working on it. So please, please pray for us. We're very honored and humbled to be here this morning. But I want to dive into the lesson now. You know, Mike talked about this kingdom identity because when you see the kingdom— when you see Jesus, when you see the Son of God become a man and then come and die for you personally, it demands a response. It demands a response. You don't really have a choice in the matter. You have this knowledge. You have this information. You have to do something about that. So you've got options. One, you can say thank you. You can move on. And, and it may even be true gratitude. Yeah, I'm grateful. Thank you. And you kind of live your life. Or you can do something about it. You can live your life every day in a state of gratitude. It won't be perfect, but you're making every effort to live your life for God. You know, my my daughter, I think one of the, my daughter Holly, uh, you know, one of the mistakes I feel like I've made as a parent, I'm sure I've made a lot more than this, was we've introduced her to chocolate apologize. And so when she sees the chocolate, she gets that tunnel vision. There's nothing else going on in the world until she gets the chocolate. So if she sees a chocolate chip cookie on the counter, chocolate, 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 daddy, daddy, chocolate, chocolate, and and, until, you know, and so okay, okay, say please, and so she says, okay, please, 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 chocolate, 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 (laughs) chocolate, okay. And I'll give it to her, and she'll start to sprint off. It's like, oh, what do we say? Thank you, or she'll do the sign language thank you, and, and she'll run off. And, you know, I'm like, I don't think she means it. (laughs) And you know what? And what I'm really excited about is now she's saying it on her own every once in a while. I don't have to ask her, but it's thank you, and it's like a distant, she's gone. (laughs) She's saying thank you. You know, I think a lot of times as Christians we can be that way. Hey, I got something I want. I really got something I want. I really got something I want. Okay, thank you. Now I'm going to go do me. I'm going to go take care of whatever I got to do. I got my need met. Now I'm going to go take care of me. That's not the attitude of someone who's pursuing a kingdom identity. That's not the attitude of someone who's overly grateful. Hey, I got the chocolate. Now, hey, let me give you some. Hey, what can I do to serve? How can I help in any way possible? I think that's the goal, and that's the heart we want to imitate. That's what we're working toward. And so I want to look at someone today that had that true gratitude Jesus. True gratitude for the kingdom. That's Philip. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 8. So turn your Bible over to Acts chapter 8. You know, Philip was a man that was a great example and a man that we, we should watch and learn from. You know, it shows up on the scene in about Acts chapter 6 and um, there's this, some discrimination going on in the church in Acts chapter 6. Some of the widows were being overlooked. Uh, the Grecian widows or the Hellenistic uh, widows, and they were just, they were not getting fed. And so there's this issue going on, and and Philip is one of the men chosen, and it's described, Philip is described as someone who's full of the Spirit and wisdom. Man, that'd be awesome to be described like that. Hey, what do you think about Todd? Man, he's full of the Spirit and wisdom. That's a good, encouraging thing. If you write a card and you write, man, I think you're full of the Spirit and wisdom, that's encouraging. Use those words, husbands, if you're sometimes searching. Full of the Spirit... <laughs> And wisdom, You know, and then later on, Stephen is stoned, and then the church, through persecution, is scattered, right? And so, Philip ends up in Samaria. Now, we don't know why Philip ends up in Samaria. We don't know if it's, hey, okay, there's persecution. Okay, Philip, you go to Samaria. Peter, you stay here. Okay, we don't know how it broke down, but we do know Philip went to Samaria, and we do know that the Spirit led him there. And I think there's a reason because of that. And we're going to look at that here in a minute. But I want to read Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great rejoicing, great joy in that city. That's an understatement. (laughs) There's great joy. People are being healed. People are possessed. The the demons are coming out. There are good things going on in Samaria. You know, I think what blows me away the most is it happened in Samaria. Let me tell you why. Samaria was a place that you just didn't go to. In fact, in John 4, Jesus said he had to go through Samaria because he had to help people. You know, Samaritans... Were half-breeds. Back in the day, king, uh, the king of Assyria forced the people to intermarry, and so the Jews had to intermarry with the Gentiles, and their offspring produced people who weren't whole Jews, and they were looked down upon. They were discriminated against. Well, you're not even a Jew, so you're not really God's people, and you're not even a Gentile, so you don't really have your own religion. You have a mixed bag of religions. You're lower than low. And that's where God decided to start his mission outside of Jerusalem. These are the people he wanted to start with. And he chose Philip to do it. I think he chose Philip because Philip had already had to deal with some discrimination in the church. He was ready. He had dealt with the the division, the racism, things that were going on at the time. God prepped him for this moment. You know, there may be things in your life going on right now that are hard, that are difficult, that God is using you and prepping you for something greater. So what's your heart like? Where's your heart at? You know, for me, I I don't like hard things. Maybe I'm alone in that. I don't like hard things. I grew up in California. I lived like seven minutes from the beach. Life was easy. If it did get hard, you just walked to the beach and everything was fine. And then I moved to Texas on July 4th. My air conditioning broke on the way here. Welcome to Texas. do I see it as, man, this is an opportunity where God's teaching me, where he's raising me up to do something great. And I think we've got to have that mentality. You know, so I started to think, okay, what are some of the things that stood in the way, that could have stood in the way for Philip? And maybe we can relate to some of these elements. So number one, what people may have You know, it's very interesting. If we go on and we were to read Acts chapter 10, Peter goes and he converts Cornelius. And, you know, okay, now the the Gentile movement is really being pushed. And after Peter comes back from working with Cornelius, the disciples pull him aside and rebuke him. Because he went into the house and ate with a Gentile. It's like, you don't understand, I just saved a guy and I'm doing great things for God. Bro, why'd you go to his house? Why'd you sit and eat with him? That's not the food we're supposed to eat. I'm trying to do God's will. But that was the mentality of the church. And then Peter told him the vision, and everyone's like, okay, great, amen, God's with us. But Philip's doing that right here. He's living in a society where they're eating different foods. They're doing different things. He could have been very nervous about what people were going to say about him, even the disciples. Because he wasn't the top guy. He was one of the interns. He was one of the seven they raised up, and you're kind of, please don't fire me no his heart was man i have to go save people i have to go proclaim the kingdom his heart was to love people you know i think excuse number two could have been well there's no senior leadership he went by himself there were no apostles and he probably could have used the excuse he wasn't ready you know i i haven't gotten enough training yet i'm still learning you know, I've only been a disciple. I've only had to handle, like, one heart situation. But there was a group of us I could have used that excuse. But he didn't. His heart was to go. Man, what a great heart to have. Man, that inspires me. Because I look at all the obstacles that could be in my life. And if I'm looking at the obstacles and not the great things God's going to do when I overcome them with him, man, I'm going to miss out. I don't want to. I want to pursue God. You guys with me? You sure? Thomas, you with me? Open house? Okay, amen. But, you know, one of the examples I'm very grateful for is we got an opportunity with the vets and work with the vets. And Derek Vett, he, uh, he he was a part of like 19 church plantings in Russia. Between you and me, he's probably the most positive person I've ever met in my life. For someone who's done that, I mean, there was one time where everything in their house got stolen, including their front door. That's probably the time I go, okay, thank you. I'm glad I was here. It's time to go now. But no, the heart was, this is the mission. This is where God sent me. And I think I feel so honored to have the opportunity to learn and try to imitate that heart. I feel like that's the calling that Philip has set before us. Hey, you know what? I just got to work for God, I got to get rid of the excuses, got to push things to the side, and just go, it's God's glory. And if he wants to take me home, I'm in heaven. I win. That's how it works out. But I've got to glorify God with my life. You know, one of the things for me personally, I'll share this, guys, with you. It's one of the things I feel like my biggest excuse. I think it's easy for me to get sidetracked. And so, I, you know, I look out. I go, okay, I, I know I've got to go. I, I, got, I want to make Denton awesome. I want to preach the word. But, okay, we've got to handle this situation right here. Oh, we've got this problem over here. Okay, this person needs some encouragement time. And all those things are right. I need to make sure I'm doing all those things. But I also need to make sure I'm not putting the ministry of God on the back burner. I've got to make sure I'm not advancing, I'm not, or excuse me, I'm not forgetting to advance the gospel. You know, and, and what I realize is as long as there are people like me and that guy I went to college with, there's going to be problems in the church. <laughs> and there's going to have to have people who handle them but you know what? Are we doing it for God's glory? Do we see the big picture? You know, lastly, I, you know, I want to talk about what Philip did next. You know, later on, he goes on, and he goes out, and he reaches uh, out to the Ethiopian eunuch, and he, he was just inspired to do it. The Spirit said, go, so he went. The Spirit told him to, to, run, to go stand by a chariot, and so he ran. The mentality was, I will do anything. I will leave the comfortable place of Samaria where I've baptized all these people and done all these great things for God, and I'll go start over. Because that's what God wants me to do. And that's why the Boilings example is so amazing. You know what? They left the comfortable lifestyle of Dallas to go sit in Tornado Alley and preach the word of God. And I think that's the mentality that I want to imitate. I want to make sure in my life I'm doing better with Each and every day. You know, before we dive into communion, I want to leave you with this thought for the week. Are you inspired by Jesus? Are you motivated by His love? You know, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 Christ's love compels us. You know, it compelled Paul to pour himself out to the church in Corinth, it compelled Paul to keep working towards heaven no matter what. Obstacles came in his way. What does Christ's love compel you to do? Now I want to encourage you this week to meditate on that. To think about that. What's my kingdom identity? What am I known for? And am I okay with that? And if you are, great. Keep doing what you're doing. Teach others. Bring the young students. Bring the young teens. Bring people in your life. Here, let me show you. Let me love you. Because God's done this with me. And if you're not there yet, that's okay. But have the heart, I'm going to work towards it. And talk to somebody about it. Amen? So at this time, I want to pray for communion. And I want to meditate on Jesus. I want to meditate on his love. And I want to meditate how it's going to compel us this week. Amen? Let's go to God in prayer. Amen. Father God, we're so thankful for you. God, we're so thankful for the kingdom you've given us that lives inside us, Father. God, we know we are not worthy, but you have made us perfect. God, I pray right now that we can we can give our hearts to you. We can clear our thoughts, clear our minds, and give them to you. We love you so much. all this in your son's name.